Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, your... heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Well, everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes. I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay. We're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay. Yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring in the Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. Welcome to another edition of Bring in the Closers. Ryan Ray, alongside Ben Samuels. Ben, the question that's been circling around the interwebs for probably two or three weeks now is, Will these two make it to 10 episodes? This is episode 9. I'm not exactly sure we're going to make it to 10, but just wanted to get your raw reaction. Can we get a nice 10-piece out of this podcast experiment? I would highly recommend that we have Nate cut this episode in 30-minute segments and release (laughs) it in two parts and so that we can at least guarantee to get to 10. Um, I think, I think we might be able to get there, but I, I think, I think we should go this safe route. I don't know. <laughs> Take this divided by two and play it. Yeah. Not at 10. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could do this one and then like a greatest hits and have that be the 10. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. I like that. That's the, that's the best idea you've had. Nine episodes in look at you. We should, we should stop now. See, you've ruined it. You have peaked. Why would we do 10? <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh you messed it up i was excited then you peaked with that great insight so what's going on buddy how's uh it's monday morning or monday afternoon obviously uh how's uh the last week treated you it's going fantastic i, I woke up early this morning ready to rock and roll got, got, my, got a couple of deals that are coming together got uh one uh pretty pretty big one that i'm excited about coming together hopefully here uh we're looking at uh, about a what I guess a September 27 close somewhere in there, um, and so uh, having fun. Looking forward to uh, to the fall uh, winter. I'm uh, signed a, a lease uh, in Mid- New Lease Midland starting November one, so I'll be uh, moving and having all that sorts of fun. I'm uh, going out to uh, Japan here in a couple, I guess in about a month actually, and then when I come back from Japan, I'll be moving to uh, a new apartment. So what? Well, well, that's breaking news. Da, 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 breaking news. Ben Samuel's going to Japan. Wow. Well, I'm going to break some news that you did know because friends usually share kind of cool stuff like that. I am on the Bush China Foundation, and so um, we'll be talking about that some. Might have some deal information on how to do deals with um, China. It's good to see Ben will be going to Japan. I'm curious to hear more about that. You did mention that you are considering going, but you, you never told me you were going for sure. So, um there will be a big event in Houston, uh, late October, in for the Bush China event. Anyways, I'll be linking to that in the show notes. So, if you're interested in doing deals in China with the Chinese nationals, hit me up. There's a lot of exciting stuff there, which leads me to we have Mark Lacour coming on. If you're not familiar with Mark, he has various podcasts and um, 
extensive uh, background in the oil and gas industry. I'll let him break that down some. But um, Ben, it leads me to something that I posted on LinkedIn the other day, which was something to the effect of have a great idea, vet it internally. <laughs> I wish I could see your face while I'm talking. Um, reformat the idea. Think it's great. Send it to you. You shoot it down. And then I cry or something like that, which is pretty close to how it happens. But it got me thinking. One don't, thing, don't, let, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right, right? That's exactly right. The reality is, is I have a great idea. I pitch it to you. You shoot it down. Three weeks later, you repackage it, pitch it back to me as a great idea, and then get mad when I say, why? Well, that's ex- exactly what I told you. But whatever. Well, whatever. Whatever. One of the I, assume, I'm, I'm, I, assume you're, I assume you're getting somewhere, right? That's, yeah. Well, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. It's we're 10 episodes. So. <laughs> Nate, cut it up. <laughs> cut it up. How did you get to 100 plus on some of these others? I'm curious. <laughs> well, I, I had quali- Josh. Yeah. I, I had quality co hosts on those. So it made it a little bit Ooh. easier. <laughs> Matter of fact, we had a review from someone on the Texas Holy Guest podcast talking about how good well the co host was um, from a B. Samuels 1709 or something. But, anyways. Um, with that being said, let, let's talk about that. We've we've touched on this idea loosely a few episodes back about, um, you know, how do we expand into new markets and stuff. But I am curious, as you are looking to go to Japan or, um, you know, um, maybe operate in different spaces, one of the things it seems like me and you are regularly talking about is, offline at least, is, you know, what about this idea? What about this idea? And there's... There's something to be said for the brainstorming, and there's something to be said for the executing. When do you think, when you're trying to put together, um, you know, a, a pitch to go to a new marketplace, in your mind, what has to be in place before you think, you know, what I'm ready to go execute deals in a new space with a new company with a new area? How does that process work for you internally? Is it um, do you have a core group of friends you go to? Is it you write down a long business plan? I'm, I'm curious, how do you walk through that process? Uh, when you're trying to enter in something new? Enter in from an advisory capacity or actually like a business that I'm looking to start myself and then going to be either you know, self-funding or bringing in equity partners? Well, let's start with um, let's start with the advisory capacity and then we can go to the other one. So uh, in an advisory capacity, what, what I make sure to do, because what, what I think speaks to what I'm trying to put out as, as my brand uh, what I try to do is make sure that, you know, if I'm purporting to be an industry expert or if I'm purporting to know X, Y, or Z about certain subject that I can actually deliver on that subject and that I can actually deliver value to stakeholders, you know, whether, whether that be people, industry people or, you know, uh, or investing people. I think there's a lot of people in, in, the business that you and I are in, I'll call it that, or, or a lot of people that try to try to broker deals or try to, you know, do things of that nature that, you know, will tell you they're an industry expert or they'll try to, you know, do this quote unquote, you know, fake it till you make it model that, that I really try to, to, uh, to fight against and, and go the other route. And so, so I think from, from a basic level, it's really just about having a mastery of the subject, uh, subject matter and being able to, you know, and also, you know, if, if I don't have, good quality, high quality contacts that I can put those people in front of, I'm not going to waste their time. You know, I'm going to wait until I, I've, you know, gotten enough or, you know, learned enough to be able to make the contacts and, and then kind of grow from there. So it's a slower process than, than some maybe you know, may employ, but I think on the back end it, it, it pays dividends. So let me ask you this. 
when you talk about acquiring knowledge um, and, and, and learning and trying to understand things before you, <laughs> you go into new areas, um, when, when you when you when you're doing those things, there is like if you wanted to to work with EMP companies, it's not so much that okay, hey, there's certain things. There's a lot of things that EMP companies do that can be very, very technical. Um, so what is that balance like? Because when I hear what you're saying, I'm like, okay, I, I can appreciate that. But there's also, you can spend years and not be an expert really in working with EMP companies, just to use that as an example. So, yeah, you know, I, I love these questions that we that we break, you know, that we get into. But to be honest with you, this is another example. I've said this a couple of other times. This question is, I mean, it's, I could go so many different ways to answer it. Um, in answer to, to what I think what we're trying to get at is, so I don't mean necessarily having a technical mastery of all of the ins and outs of the technical right. knowledge. I'm talking about more about being able to, so if I'm talking to, a, let, me, let me just give you an example. If I'm talking to a midstream company and they're, they're fairway and what they do is recycle produced water on site to fresh water to then funnel back into hydraulic fracturing operations. That's what they do. Okay. I don't, I don't need to know the science of how it works. I don't need to know the drilling of how, like how it's drilled. I don't, I don't need to know the capacities. I don't, I don't need to know the operate, you know, from the operational standpoint, what I do need to know is what's the value add to their customer base? Who are they trying to get in front of? How can I try to get them in front of who, you know, who they're trying to network with? What value can I bring to those relationships? So, so I'm not concerned with the business, like the technical business. I, that's irrelevant to, to where I'm stepping into this from. And so um, that being said, though, I can't very well you know, bring, you know, come to a midstream group, this group that does the water recycling and purport to be able to help facilitate good quality relationships and introductions for them unless I have at least a working knowledge of the industry as a whole. And so while I'm not talking about knowing the intricacies of how one company or another drills or, or even the intricacies of how it's done, having a, a base knowledge to be able to have a conversation, to be able to put yourself in those shoes, because I think what's valuable is to be able to hear what they're telling you in terms of what they're looking for, but then to be able to synthesize that and then regurgitate that to your network and, and to be able to facilitate. And so it kind of takes both sides. So could I, could, could you say it like this, maybe understanding the value chain and where they are at in the value chain, who precedes them and who comes after them? Um, because once you kind of understand, okay, here is, here is who they're buying from, here is who they're selling to, from, here is why they are buying from not necessarily this person, but these type of companies, and here is why they're selling to these type of companies. Once you understand that, that's and, and, and so that's kind of the distinction maybe that you're making there is that you're saying hey I, I need to understand this because um, there's a lot of people talk about mastery and that's why I wanted to tease this out with you because it's not so much technical mastery because there are people who are great at that and if you can do that so so be it but va understand the value chain is 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 highly important because when you walk into those meetings um, you need to know who, what kind of people are going to sell to and you may also already have contacts that are at those companies, um, but in different departments. So you might you might know who they're selling to. It's just the wrong department. And then you can pivot, say, okay, hey, uh, I know you guys are wanting to sell to this type of company. I know some folks over there. Let me see if I can help bridge these connections for you. Absolutely. And then it also opens up opportunities, just like this morning, uh, you know, I sent you, uh, Ryan, I sent you an email that's uh, had a, uh, a pitch deck for, from a company that you and I actually both happen to know. But uh, you know, I, I sent that same email to a couple of others. And it, all it said was, hey, 
you know, this is a pitch deck from group that I've networked with before. I, I really like what they're doing. Love the team. Would love to bring us some business. Take a look at it and let, let's talk about it. And you can't get to that point. I can't send you the pitch deck and solicit, you know, commentary or feedback or, or want to see what you can you know, bring to the table unless I'm confident that you have an industry basis and a knowledge uh, knowledge base to be right. able to, to add to the conversation. Right. One of the deals that I'm working on and we've talked about a little bit offline is uh, kind of getting into the the power space, the the electricity, if you will. And it's interesting because it's something that I don't really fully understand how the value chain works there. And it, it is tough because I'm trying to I see some value in what, what I'm being told. And I'm trying to remember that I'm being told information I can't verify independently. So that, that's kind of tough. And then on the opposite side, I'm not exactly sure who to contact at these companies without sounding like a total buffoon right out the gate. And so you're trying to source this out, but you can see the potential for value. But if you don't know how the value chain works, it really can just put the cog in the wheel. Um, and so I think working through that process and the bigger the company, obviously like ExxonMobil, it's really hard because they got so many business units as well. So, so, you so I'm that. curious. Yeah, no, I'm curious, Ryan. So I, I know how I would approach that. And I know how, you, and I think I have a pretty good idea how you would approach that in terms of, okay, so I don't know anything about, let's pick solar or wind. I don't know anything about solar, right? And I want to learn about solar. I think that you and I are at a point where we have connections or can facilitate introductions to go find the stakeholders that you want to talk to and have a conversation with them one-on-one to, you know, to garner that information. My question to you is, if you're just kind of starting out and you don't have the network that you and I do, but you're, but you're hungry for knowledge, how would you go about learning from the ground up something that you have no knowledge base on, you can't really reach out to industry experts on uh, and get their time? How would you recommend somebody you know, start from the ground up and, and get acclimated? Yeah, I would try to find um, an oil and gas. There's a handful of books. Let's just use that just to, because I don't know about solar particularly. I'm sure there are as well. But oil and gas, and I've got them somewhere in my office. There's a handful of books that are called, you know, petrochemical, a non technical guide to petrochemicals, a non technical guide to upstream, a non technical guide to midstream. That's non technical. That's for guys like me and you. There's a book on here on um, over there. I can find it later. It breaks down very high level, just kind of oil and gas from a it's not even 30,000, maybe 50,000 feet. And it gives you short functional definitions. Um, and so when I'm trying to get into a new space, I need those short functional definitions that I can throw out a term, you know, and kind of know where artificial lift fits into stuff because I got it from a book, but I don't fully understand how artificial lift works. I, I can pick that up. So I would start there. And then I would try to find um, commentary that's at this level, other podcasts, you know, um, I don't, I would, I would want to stay away from technical presentation because that's full of jargon and, and, and insider information, but stuff like this where it's kind of low key and people talking because then you can get the industry experts talking, but at a level, hopefully that's more, uh, closer to you. So I just kind of use those two sources to start there. Um, and then it sounds cliche, but Google it you know, Google the, the problems, but the non-technical guides I found to be very helpful because I, I have them. And if there's a part of the industry I'm not familiar with, I just go to the index, I search that term and I go read the term and then I go, okay, now I kind of know where I'm going. Um, this, and then I can kind of start putting together the, the, uh, the building blocks, if you will. Yeah, that, no, that's great. I think one of the, the things that I loved about what you said was uh, the piece about you need to have, like, you're, if you're trying to have a conversation about something, you need to be able to conceptually understand, you know, where the pieces of, of the puzzle plug in. And I think that's really valuable because from there, you're able to, or, you know, uh, if you're paying attention, I think that you're able to kind of quickly synthesize the rest of the information, but you need kind of those base building blocks. And so it's really important 
to, to be able to kind of key in on, on that, that important information and do the due diligence to, you know, read those books. And, uh, uh, I, I think another word for those are the, for those are the energy for dummies books, aren't they? Well, they have probably some, but they do literally, I can grab one while you're talking here. Um, they have one, a non-technical guide for oil and gas and I don't know, I, you talk, I'll grab one. No. I, okay. Um, yeah, he wants me to talk. He's, uh, he's going to get the book. Um, I won't be, I won't say anything mean about him. Um, but I think he's actually pulling out the book. I, I used to, I used one of these in one of my geology courses, but I guess this is a different one. Um, but uh, I was, oh man, I was almost done with the story, but I, yeah, I you, you're, you're crushing me. I'm sure. So here I'm holding this up for people. Listen, this is uh petrochemicals in non-technical language, the fourth edition. So if you're looking for something about petrochemicals, you don't, you know, you're not like me. Um, it does get a little, tough at some points obviously but but it's trying to it's actually this book is actually trying to break it down for folks um like me and you who aren't petrochemical experts but we can use it as a reference but they probably have the four energy for dummies and that'd probably be a great source this is probably one step above that though yeah no actually when you were step when you stepped away i was saying that i think uh not that exact book but we used a petroleum geology book in one of my geology courses in school it was that exact series. There was an yeah, I think I got it on the shelf somewhere. I just, I just knew where yeah. this one was. Um, yeah. But these have been extremely helpful because, you know, someone will call me up and say, uh, you talk about oil and gas, I'll say, hey, you know, I'm doing so-and-so and so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. Well, I don't really know how that fits into the larger scheme. And I can pull that book up and uh, get it out. And I, because I generally understand the process of how things go, um, then it helps fit the cog in the wheel. But, yeah, I, I'm just, I think the value chain thing that was important because um, – Understanding who's buying and who's selling, and how and what motivates them to buy, what motivates them to sell, um, that's that's how we're getting deals done, is by leveraging what what these pressure points are, why people want to move things. Absolutely, and I think the, the next level to that is not only knowing why people are wanting to sell, why people are wanting to buy, but what's what are motivating, what's motivating and predicating those actions, so that you can start to get out ahead of those things, and then you can start. You to not only necessarily predict the market, but you can at least kind of start to predict trends. And that can also, if you're malleable and flexible enough to be in different markets, that can also dictate, okay, so I'm going to focus over here mm-hmm. because right, what's, what's going on over here you know, it is, is slowing down a little bit and being able to, to kind of stoke the fires that are, that are the most pertinent. All right. And let's just make a little, see if we can make a practical example before our guest hops on. Um, I'm just going to spitball this idea to you and just tell me how you would react to this just to kind of, yeah, yeah, shake your head. No, you're going to get it. Um, if you're out there in West Texas, it's probably not the best area to use, but let's just use West Texas. And you come across a group of people and you say, and they say, Hey, yeah, we're uh, doing seismic survey out here for, for someone. Um, and you, and the next thing you know, you hear that, uh, there's a landman out there, you know, leasing for, for someone and they won't say with that information, um, that's it sounds kind of cliche, but that's actually just the kind of information you would be looking for. Going, okay, well, someone's paying for seismic, so they they have at least a theory that there's a good product out here. Then they're sending out seismic crews to verify that, and now there's at least one man land, maybe multiple out here leasing for that. Um, okay, Ben Samuels at a high level, if you had obviously the time and you know in, in the expertise of that area, that's information that you'd probably act on. How? A couple different scenarios, not 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 me directly, but what are some things that you may take with that and go, okay, well, this is because you can see a trend coming at that point. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I would look at what the, op, you know, who the operators are in the area, you know, are, are the operators in the area, are any of them possibly primed to sell? Are, are they maybe looking to pad acreage? Are they looking to maybe prove up a different area? Are they looking to, you know, to drill a new area? Is the area around this developed or undeveloped? Um, you know, are, you know, what are the type of wells that are coming online? Are, are the are the decline curves generally similar? Or are they are they pretty different? Is this something that's more risky or sort of something that's not? Is uh, you know is this is this in the middle of a position for a, a, an operator uh, and you know they're they're continuing a program or is this like you know where did this come from and this is out of out of left field right. and you know what's what's going on behind the scenes because then that may even lead you farther down the rabbit hole. Um, so it's off the top of my head. Those are sure. know, some of the questions I'd be asking right away. What what what, what uh, road infrastructures out there? What power infrastructures out there? What pipeline infrastructures out there? And we could go on and on, but that's because you start when you understand kind of where seismic fits into and leasing fits into the value chain. You can kind of predict what's going to be needed down the road, and so you can just take that example and plug it into different industries. But it's the same thing. Once you, you we understand what seismic does, we understand what leasing, leasing does. We understand the end goal is to eventually drill, and so when you have that information, it becomes it's not like it's rocket science. It's just, okay, well, if they do actually, you know, buy this acreage and they do drill it, these are the things they're going to need. And then you have the more of that you understand, the more potential for opportunities you have to exploit because, well, you might not be into electrical power, but you might be into um, road co- road contracts or something like that. And, you know, you could you know, whatever it might be. Um, but if you don't understand the value chain and how it goes from A to B and, and so forth, it makes it very tough to understand how you can um, exploit opportunities. So as an example, just uh, to kind of wrap it up or to sum it up um, with another quick vignette, you know, I know a group that the way that they, the way that they made their money, the way that they uh, qualified or, or uh, pre-qualified where they were going to go after minerals was that they would scrape data for hotel rooms, occupancy and rates and cross-reference that with, uh, with traffic uh, data. And that would key them in on, and this was years ago uh, when it wasn't as hot, without key them in on a new area where landmen had just flocked to and, and were running title, and they would get out in front of in front of where they thought the operator was going to go, and they made a killing. I mean, and so yeah, it can be, you know, you can think completely outside the box, but still get there. No, exactly, exactly. And that's the hotel thing. Obviously, with the Permian boom, you know, um, the hotel thing was something of concern. Obviously, there's a lot of other concerns that have been there as well with water and infrastructure and, and various things. But no, I, I think the, I think one of the things that, that's why I'm glad we, we worked through this because it is, it can be very daunting. Um, it can be very daunting, and you can start the value chain at a very high level, which is an up in the oil and gas industry business is upstream sells the midstream midstream sells the downstream <laughs> you know you can you can start at a very high level to figure out value chains and then start breaking down how those things play out why does upstream sell to midstream do they ever partner how do they partner why do they partner when do they partner do some companies do both you know you could you could really start asking a lot of questions and find those answers absolutely no actually i was just going to say for for anyone listening um you know it I don't have a problem admitting it took me a while to really grasp the the demarcation between upstream, midstream, and downstream. And even more so, I would argue that in today's market, there's so much commingling between them that that there's really I don't think there's really a hard line on any of that. Anyways, I think there's so much that that it, you know that is necessary, you know, necessitate or is necessary. If I could talk, 
to uh, to do together uh, that you know that, that it's all kind of one value chain in and of itself. No, I agree a hundred percent. So as I mentioned a minute ago, we do have on a guest, Mark LaCour, who is the editor-in-chief at Oil & Gas Global Network, a gentleman I've known for God, three, four, five years now. Yeah, and kind of helped me get my Five years. Yeah, helped me get my start in the podcasting back with the Global Interviews podcast. Way back when, Mark was the first guest, the 50th guest, and maybe the 100th guest. I can't remember. He was uh, significant for those shows. Um, Mark, I always appreciate you. You're always willing to help folks out and lend your expertise. Thank you for coming on, sir. How are you doing? Doing awesome. Thanks for having me on. Well, let's get right into it. This show, we talk about doing deals, been an hour just about value chain and trying to understand some of that stuff. But give maybe the audience who's not familiar with you a 30 second background of who you are, kind of some of the deals that you've seen or put together, or been a part of, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so I got my uh, start 20 some odd years ago in sales with the phone company in the East. And over my sales career, I think I've closed about 300 and some odd million dollars worth of business in total. Uh, in, in every place there's oil in the world, the North Sea, the Middle East, South America, the US, Canada, Europe, whatever. And, and one of the things that's really interesting that even though um, you're all over the world in this industry, and it's truly a global industry, not international. There is a difference. It's still the industry of people doing business with people, and that goes down to sales. So yes, you get beat up by procurement. Yes, supply chains are trying to get you to lower your prices, but at the end of the day, you shake hand with somebody that you help solve a problem, and that's awesome. Okay, and so real quick now, obviously you are have a ton of podcasts at the Oil & Gas Global Network. Let's just kind of go through those real quick, so we'll link to all of them in the show notes, but just kind of tell people where you're at and what all you're talking about. Hi, Ethan. Son just walked in from high school. <laughs> hey, Ethan. <laughs> Speaking of deals, um, he is in a business entrepreneurship in Fort Bend ISD in high school. Awesome. They had over 2,700 students apply for that. For 40 seats, he made the cut. Oh, that's Isn't great. Awesome? Wow. Nice. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, and, and what I'm really doing is trying to avoid your question because, Ryan, we've grown <laughs> so much. I can't remember all the podcasts we have. We have cool. Let's see if I could do it. All the guests this week. All the guests this week. Yes and E. Yeah. Oil and gas industry leaders, oil and gas legal risk, oil and gas technology, oil and gas onshore, and we're launching oil and gas offshore uh, the the first of October. Oil and gas offshore. I actually know the co- the host of that, Andy Lash, uh, and so he's a great guy, and I'm excited to hear about his his podcast. Uh, yeah, when we ran a out. contest on LinkedIn for to find the host for that, and and we broke LinkedIn for about an hour. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was insane. Of the 15 or 20 that you can see publicly, you don't see the other 150 that were sent to me privately. Um, so it was a good time, and Andy's a great guy. We're really looking forward to launching that show. Yep. So, so Mark, one of the things we're talking about, let's get your opinion on this. Um, we're talking about, you know, you're kind of put together a deal, understanding the value chain, who's buying from who, who's selling to who, um, seems to be, if you're tra- especially trying to get into a new business market, is, is one of the things you probably need to lead off with because you don't understand, you know, who they're buying from and who they're selling to and what motivates that. It makes it very hard. You've dealt with these large, large, large companies. Um, you said $300 million plus in sales. How did you go through that vetting process of learning which business units to target, what motivates them, what um, gets them you know, to answer the phone and to meet with you and uh, pushes you down the road on the sales process? Well, in the beginning, I would just talk to anybody who had Chevron on their card. I didn't know where they fit, what they did. It's just, well, you have a conversation with me. I'll buy lunch or drinks or whatever. And back in the 90s, that worked a little bit, right? It's um, You would socialize, and if you weren't talking to the right person, they would introduce you to the right person. But sales has changed in 2019. So all of the big companies, uh, so when I got started, there really was a decision maker. There was the one guy that bought telecom services at Exxon or at Chevron or at Halliburton or whatever. 
companies learned though in the last decade that having that guy, the decision maker, was bad for the company. Because if I played golf and I was friends with the guy that bought my stuff, it may not be best for the company. You fast forward till now, there is no longer a decision maker. It's a decision making team. Now that team either may be formal or informal. Regardless, whenever you go into a meeting and there's three or four guys in that room, that's half of the decision-making team. I guarantee you. The other half aren't even in that room. So trying to figure out who those people are and what, what the reason they're motivated to engage with you is hard because especially supply chain, they don't want you talking to the decision-making team, which is really backwards. Uh, supply chain should want you to talk to them. That way you can give the best solution to the problem. Or once you understand the problem, you go, you know what? I can't help you with this, right? But because supply chain wants to limit your exposure as a salesperson, it's really hard for you to do that, uh, that record ordering, figure out who's there and what. But you have to remember that every person in that decision-making team is a different driver. I'll make up something silly, right? I'm drinking Starbucks coffee right now, right? Big fan of Starbucks. So let's say I was Starbucks and I was trying to sell to Chevron. Well, I could go to Chevron HR and go, look, the, it's been proven scientifically that a little bit of caffeine increases worker productivity. So how about you buy Starbucks for me to increase productivity? Or I could go to the portfolio manager who manages a bunch of project managers at Chevron and go, look, my ability to keep these people awake and working longer hours will make sure you hit your project delivery dates and your start dates. I could go all the way up to the CEO and go, look, last, last quarter, you missed some of your numbers um, because your people didn't perform like they should. A little bit of caffeine will make that difference. So now I'm affecting shareholder value. So I can take something as simple as Starbucks and you see how different members of that team have different motivators and drivers. And as a salesperson, you have to understand that. Yeah, I think that's really valuable, Mark. That's something that Ryan and I have talked a little bit about on the podcast uh, about being able to kind of get in that prism of, of what is the other person thinking and what, you know, what, what are they looking at that you know, at this from and kind of how, how can I get behind, you know get in the door. Um, so I'm curious. You know, you, you mentioned something that, that uh, Ryan and I, I don't think that we talked about it online, but we talked about it quite a bit offline in terms of you know a lot of these uh, firms having having this resistance to really having an open conversation to you so you, that you can, you know, so that you as a consultant can even get to the point where you can be of value and that you can actually, you know, bring something to them that, that would help their bottom line. How, how have you, in your experience, how have you found over the years that you're able to, to have that conversation and kind of get to that next level? And what are some of the ways that you've been able to kind of break that barrier, break through those doors? Yeah, boy, this is a big thing. It's a great topic. I could spend next six hours talking about this. So first thing is, if you're a potential vendor and somebody from a big oil company reaches out to you, they're not buying. They're gathering information. They're gathering data. From a, to a salesperson, if you're inexperienced, you can go, you know what? Here's an opportunity. It's not an opportunity. They're just gathering information. Without a time constraint and the consensus to solve the problem, it's not an opportunity. So you want to give a little bit of information. What you really want to find out is why they're gathering information. Is that a problem that they're facing now and the, and the senior people are saying, go out there and find me different solutions? Is it not a problem now, but they think it's a problem in the future? Is it wishful thinking? You're seeing this going on right now today with blockchain. You're seeing oil and gas companies reach out to the blockchain world and say, tell us about your blockchain product. Not because they want a blockchain solution. They're just curious. But if you're not an experienced salesperson, that looks like a prospect. That's the first thing. Not every inbound is a lead. Second thing is you basically need to skip procurement supply chain. You need to skip HR, IT, legal, everybody that is a chargeback model in the business because they have no budget. Each year they're asked to do more with less. And if they want to buy 
try something new, they have to go ask the business. As opposed to the guy that's running the North America operations for Halliburton, he probably has, even in this uh, bit of a downturn that we're approaching, he probably still has 20 to $50 million a year of discretionary spend. That's the guy you want to talk to. And if he has a problem that you can solve, so let's say he has a problem that costs him $10 million a year, He'll write you a check for five million because he's done netting five. But until you have that discussion with him about the problem that he has, you're gonna go nowhere. And as a salesperson, the days of the discovery meeting, which I hate that term now, is gone. You can't go to this guy at Halliburton. He's busy. He's running North America operation and go, tell me what keeps you up at night. That doesn't work anymore. You have to do your research ahead of time. You have to walk in his office and go, look, John, I know for a fact that you can't hire enough skilled labor in the Permian, North Dakota. So you miss your quarterly earnings. If I was able to get you more um, diesel mechanics and welders on site, you'd hit your quarterly earnings. You hit your KPIs. Everybody'd be nice. You need to know the problem ahead of time and walk in there and talk to them about it. That's how it's done in 2019. We've talked about publicly traded companies. I'm, I'm gonna get your take on this. Um, publicly traded companies, you you have a potential for an advantage because every quarter they talk about what their problems are or what their successes are. Um, obviously, that's not the full picture, but it is an insight. It is um, something I know we've talked about to our salespeople is if they're saying that they're gonna do this stuff. Well, next quarter, <laughs> the analysts are gonna say, "Did you do that?" And so it does give you some insight. Um, how do you take that information because it can be very granular and technical? How do you balance out what they're saying on the quarterly reports or annual reports and take that to try to turn that into business opportunities? Yes, that 10K is super valuable. Too many salespeople discount that. That's a legal document. That is literally the leadership of that publicly traded company saying, this is what we're facing as is either competitive disadvantage or what the market is throwing us that may keep us from hitting our earnings. It's not a guess. It's not a smokescreen. It's legit. Where salespeople disconnect is that's where it is at the top of the food chain. As it works its way down to the frontline people, it changes. I'll give you a great example. So you read somebody's 10K right now, and they're going to talk about negative public perception is hurting their operations in North America and in Europe, right? That's at the CEO, uh, C-level, suite level. They know what that problem is. They know um, why it's caused. They, they don't quite know how to address it yet, but they know it's something that could affect their business next fiscal year. As that problem works its way through the organization and you get down to, say, either the frontline people or the managers of the frontline people, it becomes very tactical. So instead of it, them saying it's negative public perception, they will literally say, this Indian tribe is keeping us from building our pipeline project. We're running six months behind. And if we run eight months behind, we're going to lose our funding, right? So to the frontline people, it's a different problem. It's really the same problem. It's just different windows into that. And so each person you talk to as you move up and down that hierarchy, you have to talk about that problem in a different way. So what are some of the things um, – I'm going to kind of throw the same question out at you. I, I want you to keep going because I, I think you're onto something. What are some of the ways you know, in your, uh, your, your day-to-day or kind of your own model that, that you do – you look at a 10K. What what are some of the things that, as a consultant, you're you're looking to extract out of those that, that are then maybe in turn going to be valuable for you to uh, you know in your due diligence before you reach out to one of these groups? Okay, so you have to remember my day to day is trying to sell podcast sponsorships, and, I, and I'll give you a perfect example. So all of the super majors have the same problem, and that problem is negative public perception to the point that states are suing them for climate change. All of them are used to throwing money at muscle at the problem because they're the super majors and it goes away. That's what they've been doing for the last hundred years. For the first time in their history, they've thrown money and muscle at this problem. And it not only has it not gone away, it's gotten worse. 
right? I know that, right? So I've had very frank and open. I mean, I actually cold called several super majors with an email. I'll share, share it with y'all. And it basically says, this is affecting your ability to hire and retain talent. This is affecting your ability to operate around the world. It's affecting shareholder value. And quite frankly, it is impossible for you to fix it yourself because if you try, people are going to discount it and say it's super major X marketing program. I'm an independent third party. I'm the solution to your problem. So here's a perfect example. Um, I've gotten into heated arguments with the chief marketing officer of, of the biggest super major out there, had to shut the door um, because they wanted um, editorial control because they, they're worried about the risk of somebody ruining their brand. And I have to tell them, look, I don't want to ruin my brand. You're, we did a million dollars last year. You're a $450 billion a year company. It's, it's a much bigger risk for me than you. And if I give you editorial control, people will discount it and it won't perform. It won't uh, function like we want it to function. It has to be an independent third party. It gives you weight in the market. And it got to the point where I had to pull up uh, one of our shows like Oil and Gas This Week in iTunes and look at all the reviews. There's literally hundreds, if not thousands of reviews of young people from around the world saying, this is great. I learned so much. I love this. I'm in my second year as a petroleum engineer, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Mr. Super Major, is there anywhere you can go online, anywhere, and show me the same thing about your business? And he looked at my champion, which is a VP, and they looked at me and he goes, no. So you got to know your facts to the point that you will stand up, not be belligerent, but facts are facts and stand up and talk about the problem in a way that you take the elephant out of the room. Most salespeople are scared to go there. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Uh, Mark, I, I want to pivot into something uh, and I don't want to take you know, too long. I don't want to go on a, on a real tangent, but you, you opened up something that I've been really curious about and I don't think enough industry people talk about it. And so, so I'm curious you know, how you think about this or what your you know, what's your thoughts on just at a high level? It seems to me that the oil and gas industry, and I'm not talking about the people in there, I'm talking about it as, as a whole, has kind of accepted this narrative that fossil fuels are a net negative and you know, has just kind of addressed the problem from a PR standpoint of, yes, it's a negative, but here's why we still need to do it. Whereas I, I'm kind of confused as to why the conversation you know, is not at least from the from the PR standpoint, from from the oil and gas industry outbound, is more. You know, the fossil fuels are not actually a net negative at all, and let's change the conversation completely, as opposed to okay, yeah, you know, this just it's a necessary evil that we need to deal with, and eventually, you know, you know, we'll go to solar and we'll go to wind. Um, it's amazing to me, and just to kind of put the uh, the point out, and then I'll and then I'll hand it off to you. It's amazing to me how. You can go on to some of the you know, super majors and some of these large operators' websites, and on the homepage, you have pictures of like solar panels and wind energy and those kind of things. And, and I think that from a PR standpoint, that puts out a completely diametric you know, an image that's diametrically opposed to what we should be doing. What do you what do you think? Oh boy, you talk about me being able to spend hours. I've been talking about this publicly for a while. Okay, a couple of things. So first thing, energy is energy. Depending on what the application is, there's different energies that are better fit. Second thing is hydrocarbon is the most important molecule to mankind's existence. It will never go away. The demand for it will only grow. Um, think of things like space travel. So SpaceX, you know what their fuel of choice is right now? It's kerosene and liquid oxygen. The only energy source that has enough density to get us off our planet is hydrocarbons. Their new bottle of rocket engines are going to be, guess what? Methane and liquid oxygen, right? So um, we need to be telling that story. The problem is, and nothing against engineers, 
our industry is made up of a bunch of engineers. And so for the last hundred years, when anybody says something negative, the engineers never stop from whatever they're doing, raise their head and go, no, 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 you're wrong about that. With the advent of social media a decade or so ago, now you amplify that, right? So the people that don't like our industry, the majority of them, their hearts are in the wrong place. They're wrong, but they're, they really think they're helping the planet. What they don't realize is a couple of things. So first thing is, do you know what's the most organic fuel there is in existence? Hydrocarbons. Think about where it comes from. It is 100% organic. It's legacy sunlight captured by plants and zooplankton, baked and nurtured by Mother Earth for millions of years. It doesn't get more organic than that. Second thing is, hydrocarbons are still being made. Not at the rate of the Jurassic Pleistocene era, but they're still being made. Unlike anything else, nobody ever worries about running out of sand for glass or steel for, I mean, iron for steel. We're not going to run out of hydrocarbons. The sun will run out of hydrogen before we run out of hydrocarbons. And literally everything it takes to make modern life possible, I mean, literally everything around you, we would not have this conversation the internet would not exist without hydrocarbons. Now, it's from the narrative from the oil and gas companies, they're in a weird place. So a decade ago, think of when BP changed his name to Beyond Petroleum. That was a PR stunt. They really didn't care about renewables, right? It was a way to, to, to position themselves as a more green world. All three of us on this uh, podcast right now know that we are the number one energy industry that's measured by its impact to the environment. I mean, literally, if we spill four ounces of crude in the Gulf of Mexico, it's an incident. Go to a diesel refueling station. There's 100 years of diesel spinning around nobody cares about. You know, People talk about water contamination. There's never been an incidence of fracking causing water contamination. Yet in 2016, there were over 600 incidences of agriculture causing water contamination. We don't talk about that. So there's that part of it. Uh, ben, we're in a weird place politically. So I just came back from Denver. We launched a new happy hour there. And the month before I was in New Mexico, those states are following California where the people are passing legislation, which is killing the oil and gas industry. So if you're a major operator, you got a balancing thing. You got to try to run your business, but you also have to look at future legislation. Um, this car uh, carbon sequestering thing will happen in the US. I have no doubt. Now, I think the super majors have a long-term play on that and they're actually benefit from it. So if you're a super major or a major independent or a pipeline company, whatever, and you have the technology to pull CO2 out there, which is another whole story in itself. Um, and you can pull the equal amount of CO2 out there that you should create. You can now say you're carbon neutral, correct? Right. What's the next logical step? You pull more CO2 out the air and you get tax credit, you make revenue for it. And then we all know this, guess what's a great wealth stimulation technique? Injecting CO2. So if I'm a super major, I'm going to have the government pay me to pull CO2 out the air. There's a profit line right there. And then I'll use it in my own operations for wealth stimulation. I didn't pay anything for it. Actually, the government paid me. And the public doesn't see that. The reason all the majors and the knocks around the world are supporting a lot of this uh, carbon sequestration or carbon taxing strategy is the number one way globally to reduce CO2 emissions is to switch from coal to natural gas. It reduces CO2 by 60 65%. Where do you get the natural gas from? You got to buy it from the, the majors and, and the Knox, right? So it's in their own marketing plan to go down that route. Uh, but I agree with you as an industry, we need to own this problem. We need to stand up and talk to our neighbors, not facts. I mean, not, not facts, excuse me, not, uh, not opinions and not, not um, politics, but facts. Talk about the jobs we create. Talk about how good we are for the environment. How many people out there know that our air pollution peaked in 1977? Remember uh, acid rain, the smog over uh, LA? That's gone. We fixed that as an industry, right? The um, BP Macondo disaster, we fixed that. The Valdez, we fixed that, right? We're an industry of engineers and we have our problems, but we have a problem. We go back in and fix it. And as an industry, we just don't tell that story in a way that people understand or relate to. That's the, the value of not just our podcast, but the stuff y'all are doing. We're telling the real stories of our industry and that's what's going to move the needle. Yep, that is it, Mark. I know we are up against the clock here. Um, 
this final words of wisdom for folks that are out there listening and they're saying, you know what? Okay, this is kind of good insight. One of the things when I first met you, you were going around, you might remember this, talking about ethane crackers and the potential for folks who were there first. And you knew that because you'd researched the market and you saw the trend and you saw what was going. Give us, we talked about 10Ks, but maybe two or three other kind of tidbits for folks who are saying, you know what? I want to be a forward thinker. I want to figure out how to be ahead of the curve. What are some other resources or insights that you might want to point them to before we let you go today? Yeah, you, you need to put, to, I do this. I have four hours in my calendar every month to learn. And literally I do nothing during that four hours. It's two, two hour segments to go out and just learn and talk to people. This industry loves to talk, uh, loves to share, if, especially if they trust you. And that is so important from a sales development point of view. You need to know what's going on, but you need to hear it from the industry itself. Uh, most of the trade rags are biased and information it's actually dated by the time you read a magazine most of the stuff uh, almost all the stuff online is biased one way or the other so you know make your context build your network um use that to understand what's going on in the industry like you know what's going on right now is you're having the ser upstream service company starting to lay off people right that, that's a trend that a salesperson can use to their advantage if they saw it coming ahead of time and it's not that hard to predict that sort of stuff okay great on gas global network mark has a Slew of podcasts is the term we'll use over I like there. That term slew. <laughs> he is as I've done. I, I dubbed you. So when you start printing the shirts, I want to roll to you. The Godfather of Energy Podcasting. That, that I, I got the copyright on it. I'll be happy to split the profits with you. <laughs> He's someone who's always been gracious with his time. Be sure to sign up for their newsletter because the newsletter um, is one of the favorite things that you put out that you that, that you guys put out that I enjoy. It tells you where events are and you've kind of sourced them, so it's not just anything. Um, and then like your happy hours and things like that, you can find all of that yes. there. So, Speaking of learning, that's what those are for. Those are right. to learn. Yeah, and they're free, folks. So sign up, take advantage of it. Right. There you go. Uh, Mark, anything else before we let you get out of here today? No, just uh, remember, if you work in this industry, take five minutes to talk to your kids, talk to your neighbor about what you do. We don't do enough of that. And if you just spend a few minutes explaining that to people, it makes a big difference. Yep. And Mark, you are also always gracious with your time. So thank you for your five, well, more than five today. We appreciate it and uh, hope to have you on again, I don't know, six months, a year or something, when you can impart some more wisdom on us. Yeah, see you, gents. Thank appreciate you for your time, Mark. Thanks. And once again, that was Mark LaCour with the Oil and Gas Global Network. Such a good guy to always come on, give his wisdom. And it's I like talking to a guy like Mark, Ben, because he deals with the real big companies, which is a world I really don't deal in uh, a lot, but there's a lot of value on how to penetrate those companies, how to understand them. Obviously, the, the companies I do with uh, are publicly traded, um, some of them or most of them are. Um, so I do use the 10K stuff, but some of the other stuff and thinking about how they're interpreting things is, is quite helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It's always always great to get another perspective and, and he's clearly somebody that has done it all uh, been through it all it has a, a number of things going so it's that, that i like that a lot that was a lot of fun so the real question is um we're getting close to the to our time here today sadly tragically it's tearing me up inside um will we be back next week i mean we've teased that or should we just tell nate to go ahead and cut it in half i think we can eke out another one i think we can get there i think we can we can do it. Well, the good news is you sent in a, in a note earlier today that you will be out one episode so the listeners can get some real value in a few weeks when you're gone. So that, that that's encouraging, if nothing else. You see those crickets that just happened in the last two seconds? That's what the podcast is going to sound like. It's just going to be crickets. No, it's going to be the sound of the roar of the, of the millions going, thank God, yes. You know what we should do? We should uh, we should record the episode in what two weeks live in studio with you know we should do it at uh, oh we're, we're 
No, we're building a new. I'm building a new studio. I'm building a new studio, so maybe we can do it. Will it be ready in two weeks? Uh, well, if it's not, we know who to blame. You? No. Oh, oh, wow, um, wow, that was uncalled for. Sorry, you know who to blame I, around here. Uh, you? <sighs> Your kid? Yeah, poor. I don't know what Nate's paying you on the side, but it's uh, it's substantial apparently. I mean, you're not. I, every, everything I've seen, Nate does his job. I don't know. Kind of like setting the website up, <clears throat> unlike some people. Um, anyways, anything else before we get out of here today, Ben? No, that's that's <laughs> it. Uh, I was in an, I was in an awesome mood when we got on. Um, <laughs> I don't really know where I'm where I'm, I've been left, but uh, I appreciate the time as always. This is the highlight of my week. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in a really good place emotionally right now. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm feeling lovely. I was kind of down, but this is lifting my spirits. <laughs> we're, we're we're trading off. It's great. No, I pre- I'll, I'll take the I'll take the L. It's all right. I'll take it tomorrow. <laughs> Try it again. Listeners, thank you so much. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would send you to the website, but that's for a discussion for another day. You can rate and review in iTunes. We take five stars or higher. Tell me how awesome I am and how terrible Ben is. Ben needs... That's how he thrives, people. He thrives on criticism. So give us the five stars. I need to praise. I'm petty. And this crush Ben, and it will all go well. We'll be back next week. I think we have guests on again next week. I think Nate actually is finally working on this podcast and trying to make something of it. So that's uh, it's good to see that we're finally getting some help around here. Um, I think you had a uh, recent uh, review on a different podcast. Might have might have been Texas Oil and Guys podcast, and they mentioned it was like they said something and they said I, I already talked about that. I already talked about that. Said something. Oh, and, oh, Jesus and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is something, and yeah. and you and you and I are talking about it, and you immediately just like assumed that you were Jesus. No, like, no. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we had a review that said that, that it sounded like Fergie and Jesus on the podcast. Um, I assume that Josh was Fergie. I don't know who Jesus is. I gave Josh Fergie. That's all. That's all that I know. Beyond that, it could be Nate. Nate's got that deep voice. You never know. Don't let the facts. That oh, that is the facts. That is by the, the facts. Way, by the way, we definitely sh- we need to rename the podcast. Don't let the facts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, it's been great. Uh, once again, we'll be back next week with we do have a guest. Uh, I would say Nate's doing work, but these this guest today, next week's guest are people. I think the next four guests are people that I've seen. So whatever, we'll be back for a few more episodes, tolerating each other. And until next time, keep climbing. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes, I changed it to Valentine's Day. (sighs) Okay, we're protected with connection security services. You just gotta be more careful, Pete. Okay, yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. This Halloween. No, that's impossible. Don't get caught. Did you check the basement or the bedroom? Without the perfect thing. They're both out. To treat every taste. Well, that's it. We're out of Fanta. This Halloween, don't live with the horror of being without Fanta. Get yours today.